Well, good morning. My name's Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. If you're a guest, uh, we have a, a team uh, teaching rotation between Rob Sweet and myself. Rob's a lead pastor. And so just so you know, I'll, I teach here and then we'll rotate and we teach at Brentwood and Franklin Brentwood. So you'll see us coming back. And it's really tied, quite frankly, to what I'm going to be talking about today. And that is our core values. You'll see it reflected uh, in that. Uh, two things before we get started, I, I want to ask you to do for me. I'd like everybody to take out their phone for a moment. Everyone take out their phone. Um, I lost mine this morning, and so I was running around panicked, but finally found it. And I want to invite everyone. Now, some of you have already done this. I realize it. I'm going to ask you to use your phone right now and opt into what we are calling 40 days of prayer and fasting. So if you've already done it, um, sit there bored for just one minute. But if you haven't, um, I really do want to invite you to opt in. You just text 40 days to 555-888. This is, um, this is something we as a community of faith, adults and kids, uh, if you're a guest and you want to track along with what we're doing right now in these 40 days, um, we welcome you to jump in. It's a great uh, devotional guide, quite frankly, that we, we're, we write it as we go, so it's fresh. But it'll track with the, the series we're in around mission and values. And uh, the reason I'm taking the time to ask you to do it is it's that important. I mean, it, th this is defining us as a community of faith. And so we would love for everyone uh, to be involved in that. Secondly, we've got uh, just over 260 students, 7th grade to 12th grade, at a camp in Kentucky. They are wrapping up this morning the first ever uh, all-student camp. So... Not just 260 students, but 95 of you, 95 leaders, volunteers, 95, you know, there engaging with our students. And so as they finish up this morning, they'll have a time of sharing. They'll be talking about what God has, how God has spoken to them. And I think it's appropriate that we would just pause before we start and uh, pray for them. So I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer one more time. Father, thank you for our uh, student ministry team here in Franklin and in Brentwood and 95 uh, volunteers who are this weekend giving their lives away, pouring into these students, speaking to them, listening, caring, loving. We entrust them to you now as they finish up this morning, probably now beginning to move toward their final session where they will share and talk with one another about what they've learned, what they've experienced. We pray your spirit to move, that he would convict, encourage, and hold. If there's a student there that's felt missed, and there's got to be, would you connect an adult, a friend, someone with that student now, just to look them in the eyes, to let them know they're not by themselves. We pray the gospel clearly presented would pierce their hearts and your spirit would enable them to believe some for the first time others to make a to, to, to drive a stake in the ground to say I will walk courageously real in my faith now for the leaders give them discernment strength and energy to finish strong and as they many of them uh, jump right back into work most of them jump right back into work tomorrow would you refresh their bodies that are exhausted and would you encourage them that the investment they have made this weekend matters for eternity? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Uh, well, this is the second message in a series of seven that we are doing that are, 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 are re- looking at the, our re-envisioned mission and values. Um, it's, it's a little bit different in that it's going to feel a lot more like, a, like an explore class, to be quite frank, you know, where, where um, I'm, I'm explaining to you what we believe and where we're going. Uh, if you're a guest, what a great time to be visiting. I mean that. Now, normally I would say, turn in your Bibles to a certain book, and we're going to go through this book verse by verse. That's how we teach, and you're going to hear me talk about that in a moment. But we're, we're doing something different in this season because understanding this Understanding renewed mission, renewed values is absolutely critical for us going forward. We're at the 20-year mark. Uh, Franklin Congregation is not, but we are one church with these two locations. We're at 20 years, and at that 20-year mark, it's a time for us to look back and go, where have we been? How did we get here? What has God done in us and through us? And out of that, you know, we're looking forward, quite frankly, to the next 5, 10, 15, 20 and rethinking, re-envisioning the values and the mission that will move us forward. And that's why we want everybody on the text and everybody involved in the 40 days. And that's why we're doing this series. Um, two things I want to address before I, I, I get to the core values, okay? And, and this is going to be the five values that, that come from where we are and guide us where we're going. Two things. The first is process. Let me, let me say to you as I present these, okay, uh, they don't come out of a vacuum. And we started last December, a group of 12 that included 13, included six elders, looking at our past, looking at where we were, lining up passion, gifting, wiring, calling, our place in time, our geography, our story, and putting all of that in and trying to come out of that and go, what values rise up that are a part of who we are but need to shape where we're going. What do those look like? And then we, we vetted that with, with elders, with staff, and then with 300 of you. Just so some of this isn't new for many of you because over four meetings from December till now, we've presented this to 300 leaders within Franklin and Brentwood congregations and said, how does this, does this resonate? Let's pray. Let's go. Does God, is this what you would have us move forward with? So I want you to hear that it comes from a, a process where we have been prayerful about what these values would look like. Mission, all the stuff we're going to be talking about. And then secondly, I want to talk about meaning. Let me talk about the meaning of core values. At one level, they're, self, they're self-defining. Let's see, core, that means uh, core. That means central, center, uh, values. (laughs) They're really important. At one level, that's what it is. They're they're central values to us. They really, really matter. Um, Here's how we define core values, because I want you to know why they matter. There's going to be slides pop up. You do not have to write this down. You do not have to take a picture. It will be on the website, and you can go in there and just get it from there. But here's a definition of core values that we hold. Core values are shared biblical convictions that guide and shape all that we are and all that we do. Why why do core values matter? They guide and shape all that we are and all that we do. Core values, in, in a sense, are like the scent of a church. It's what a church smells like. It's this idea, it's just on us and in us. Uh, When I go to see my good friend David Arms, uh, whether I see David in his studio or I see him in his home or I see him in his gallery, he's always got these candles burning. 
And it's his own scent and stuff that he's got, of course, with his, his gallery. But if I go home, I mark my words, I'll walk up and hug my wife. You've seen David today. Or one of my kids walked by, well, you've been with Mr. Arms today. Because the scent is on me. These core values, I want you to understand, when, when we individually embrace them, they begin to embrace and own us. And a person doesn't have to go to Fellowship Bible Church like Franklin or Brentwood and come on a campus if they run into one of us who are in, engaged at Fellowship. They can smell it. They can feel these values. They actually sense the values without ever having read them because these values are not buried somewhere. We look at them a lot because they guide and shape all that we do. It's, uh, it's bow season. And you go, what's, what's this have to do with values? It's got a lot to do with values in a minute. It's bow season, i.e. It, it means nothing to anyone in the room except Curtis Sullivan if he's around here because you know, we hunt together. But that means it's, it's, I can hunt with a bow right now and you know, shoot, shoot a deer. And so I've, I've got up here, um, I've got my bow up here for y'all to take a look at. It's my old Bowtech bow, compound bow. And uh, you know, the object of... Uh, you know, the object of deer, deer hunting and bow hunting is take this arrow, which I'm going to talk about, uh, which you'll notice on this one, you see that glittering thing right there. That is, uh, those are three razor blades that come to a point. And so uh, the object, of course, is to, to this arrow, if I'm deer hunting, for, the, for, for it to strike the deer. And by the way, the, the target on a deer, if those of you who don't know, I know half of you are upset with me right now, but <laughs> is about that big. It's about that big. And, and when you put this 30 yards away and draw back and close one eye, I'm telling you, it looks like a quarter. It's not easy task. But when that arrow, if this arrow strikes that, I want you to know also it doesn't kill the deer. Okay, it harvests the deer. No one gets that when I say it. Like, you understand it harvests the deer, y'all. So I'm trying to ease, ease us into this. Um, like picking an apple, you know? I mean, come on. Uh, so, but for this arrow to fly straight, it has to have, and here's my point, it's got to have fletchings. That's what these little veins, these little feathers that are on the back end of your, your child's bow and arrow, okay, are these fletchings on the back end. And it's the fletchings that are like the rudder on a plane. Literally, can you imagine going to a plane and it has no rudder on the back? It will not fly straight. It will, I mean, you wouldn't get on it. So it's the, it's the, the fletchings that enable the arrow to fly straight. And so what I want to show you by example, and by the way, this, you see this, these padded things around here? Those are soundboards. I've already practiced this, so it's okay. I'm going to put this arrow with a fletching. There are fletchings. I'm going to put it in the soundboard right back there behind the door, Okay. I would never do that. Some of you are like, some of you are like, oh my gosh, I, I think he is. Oh, man. No, I'm not. But I did, I did bring my Z-Tech Stormbow from Walmart. And I want to show you this. And, and you're going, Lloyd, this is ridiculous. And it is, but it's also making this point because I want you to understand how important the values are. And I got an arrow up here that has the fletchings, right? So this is, you know, our mission is the arrow. Every church's target is glorify God and make disciples. Rob's gonna unpack, start to unpack the mission next week. 
But our mission is also the unique way we glorify God and make disciples. That's our mission, okay? But the target, glorify God and make disciples. This is our mission. And so for us to hit that, our, our, our mission has to have these, have these values, okay, in order to fly straight. Now, I'm gonna shoot this straight back there. I am gonna shoot this one. It's got a Nerf tip on it. The worst thing you can do is try and dodge it and pull a muscle. If you'll just let it hit, your, hit you in the head, it'll be okay, okay? Just close your eyes. And it'll make a little missile noise when it goes. So I'm gonna put this right on the doors back there. I've tried this, you know, this is the second time I've done it. Oh, I went short. I, 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 how did I do that? Hold on, wait, 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 wait. Let me do that again. I, I didn't want to hurt anybody. So again, this is with the, this. This will get to, this will get there. Oh, whew, all the way back. Now the point is, this one has no fletchings. So this is the one that you need to be aware of. This is this is the one that is not going to make it back. Is not going to get back there. It'll turn right or left, and it will, and it didn't hit anybody. Why, you know, why would I do that? Because again, it, it's this idea that core values really matter. Could you imagine someone shooting an arrow with no veins on it? It'd be, it would be terrible. Our values keep us from veering off in other things, and they mark us uniquely as a community of faith. I'm going to spend most of the time on the first core value, be, value because the other ones flow from it. There are going to be slides popping up. I'm going to move very quickly through this. But I assure you, even though I'm not turning to a text, you're going to see some text in these. There's something God has to say to each one of us, even around these core values. Let's start here. The first and foundational core value upon which all the others are built is this. We are word-centered we are word-centered. What do we mean by that? Here's the definition. You'll see it on the screen. Because God has revealed himself through the written word and the living word, we place the Bible and Jesus at the center of all we are and everything we do. Don't turn there, but 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This verse is the, is the foundational verse for what we call the doctrine of inspiration, the doctrine by which we understand this book is God-breathed. That's what inspiration means, that the Spirit of God breathed through the writers such that with their own personality and temperament and grammatical quirks, they would record, but every letter, every word, word, word would be from God, such that this book is unlike any book on the planet wherein we believe this is the revealed words of God to us. Inerrant, infallible, sufficient for all matters of life and faith. And you're gonna see us express this. Every value is gonna have demonstrated by. So look at what this is, how you'll see this demonstrated by in our church. We are word-centered, demonstrated by submitting to the authority of scripture in all matters of faith 
of life and faith, practicing expository preaching as our primary means of teaching the scripture, equipping and encouraging all to personally read, understand, and apply the Bible, and pointing people to Jesus through every book of the Bible. I'm going to tell you in the coming years, you're going to find us more and more equipping and encouraging you. Can we start at baseline? to read your Bible. I mean, we're just not gonna get away from that, that there's no growth apart from you, not listening to the preacher, teacher, or some other teacher, but you and I reading the Bible. Let me make a comment or two around expository preaching. I have defined this in the past as, you know, when you open your Bible and what we do is we teach it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, that's not a complete definition of expository preaching. So I wanna clear the decks and I wanna give you a very clear uh, somewhat technical, but, but we can handle this understanding of expository preaching. This is up on the screen. I'll walk you through it. Expositional preaching grounds the message in a historical, grammatical, and literary understanding of the text in its context as the author intended the original audience to understand it. Let me, let me explain that to you. So when we do expository teaching, we go to a text and we understand that this Bible is, is it, it's grammatical, it's historical, and it's literary. So we bring all of that to the text to go, what is the literary structure? What's the historical context? What's the grammar here? What's the context of this verse in other verses and in the whole Bible? And we must determine what the author intended for it to mean to the original audience first. We don't open our Bibles and go, what does this mean to you? Here's what it means to me. It doesn't matter until we go, what did, it, what did the author intend? And ultimately, the author's God. It was communicated in a context. So then, notice the second part. Only then is the ancient text brought to the current context for practical application, which will always find its ultimate fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. See, only then when we understand what the author intended for the original audience, what's the timeless principle that comes all the way across the centuries, and this timeless principle remains. And how does that apply, and how do we live that out? And the last sentence, which will always find its ultimate fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed this from Rob and I in the last year, but we've been very intentional, you all, to remind you whether, whether we're in Ecclesiastes or we're in the book of Acts, whether the application is uh, tithe, give 10%, or the application is love your neighbor, that every application of text of the Bible, the thematic application, wherever we are in the Bible, do you know what it is? Jesus. It's always Jesus. He's the fulfillment it's not, now the Bible says it, let's go do it. It's always how has Jesus satisfied that such that in Christ I can now live that way. It's always Jesus. What did, the, the reading we had was intentional because it's that road to Emmaus. And, and what did Jesus do with the disciples? He started in Genesis. He went through the prophets and he said, look, it's always about me, it's about me, it's about me. So it'll always find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. If I tried to boil this down, you know, again, I'm talking about expository preaching. It's to say this, we're gonna open our Bibles, we're gonna say, what did it mean then? Now, what does it, what does it mean now? And why does it matter? I mean, this is what we do with our text. One way to understand 
uh, expositional teaching is to understand uh, what it's not. When I, when I talk about this, I want you to know I am not demeaning this type of teaching in any way. And we actually teach this way sometimes. It's okay. But what you're going to get at Fellowship Bible Church is exposition. Now, this is not exposition, but it's okay to teach the Bible this way. For example, let me give you an example. Take the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel. Okay, because I picked that because everyone's familiar with it. Some might teach that and, and basically say, we're going to look at this story because there are five principles of leadership here. And so the message is five principles of leadership. And, you, and this is okay. You can teach it and go, you notice this. The first thing you notice is that David obeyed his dad because a leader must first follow in order to lead. That's fine. And then you notice, you know, Dave, did you notice David did not wear Saul's armor because a leader must be comfortable in their own skin. And then that's true. Is that all true? That's true. And then you go, well, and did you notice that David ran toward Goliath? Can I tell you why? Because a leader moves toward the problem. Not, and, and that's okay. And sometimes we'll teach where there's principles like that, but you all when you're expositing the story of David and Goliath, as we will do, and as we do, you go to the text and you go, when Samuel recorded this, he didn't write it as five principles of, of leadership. He wrote it as a recording of God's redemptive history. How in history is God preparing the world for Jesus? And when you read it that way, you begin to read that story and go, whoa, that, there's the... There's the one who delivered the whole nation. Um, and the one was a boy. That sounds foolish. And yet it's the foolish one who rescued the whole nation and got the benefit for the one, what the one did. Who does that sound like to you who's coming in the future? Who does it sound like? Jesus. Doesn't it? See, you, you begin to see, wait, this is all about Jesus. What's the redemptive history here? That would be expositing the text. And we may pull out of that some leadership lessons, but we don't start there, and that's not the point of the message. Okay, we are word-centered. Very quickly, what else? Four more. We are, secondly, spirit-dependent. How do we define that? Because we cannot do anything apart from Jesus, and he has given us his spirit who empowers us to fulfill his mission, we will depend wholly on the Spirit to do in us and through us greater works than he did. That's what Jesus said we would do. How is this demonstrated? How, how do we live it? You'll see it in these ways, equipping people to understand what it means to be filled with and walk by the Spirit. We spent three weeks on that last year. We'll always be coming back to, you can't do it. The Spirit lives in you and he lives to reproduce Christ in you, growing as a prayerful people who truly pray without ceasing. When we talk about being spirit dependent and being a prayerful people, please know this. We'll do things like 40 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, there's a group that meets on Fridays to pray. We'll do programmatically things to pray, but ultimately it comes down to this. Are we, are you and I individually becoming a people, a person who prays without ceasing? That I just pray during the day. I, I, I pray like I breathe. I'm in a conversation with God. And it'll reflect itself in a church in this way. You're walking to your car and someone talks to you and you catch up real quick and you find out there's an issue in their life. Rather than say, okay, see you or uh, I'll pray for you later. You just stop right there and you pray for them. And you may be in Costco 
And there you are on the aisle and you run into somebody. You haven't seen them in a while and you catch up and they're going through something and you just stop and say, man, can I pray for you? And they're like, man, that's kind of weird, you know? You went to Costco and you go, no, I, I want to pray for you. I want to ask God. They may not even know Christ, but that's, I'm telling you, that's a prayerful people. Dependent and praying in the now, not in the later, but praying in the moment. Believing God for what only he can do and acting by faith on that. What are we believing God for? that only he can do, so when he does it, we do, God, that's you, that's all you. And finally, continually shifting our trust from our own resources to God and his promises. Being spirit dependent is being like Humpty Dumpty, sat on the wall and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Spirit dependent, we recognize we've taken a great fall. Nothing can put us together again. You can't put yourself together. Your wisdom can't, your practice can't, your obedience can't, your your research can't, your success can't, nothing can put us together but the word of God through the spirit of God and we're dependent upon the spirit to do that for us, in us and through us. We're spirit dependent. Word centered, spirit dependent. Third, we're better together. We're better together because God himself exists in eternal relationship and made us in his image. We refuse to go it alone in life or leadership but rather we go together pursuing relationships marked by kind-hearted humility and mutual dependence demonstrated by pursuing, pursuing healthy team ministry. No one person has all the gifts. We'll always function as teams as we lead. Making group interaction a priority in every learning environment. We, we've got to begin to, we got to engage one another in every context calling all to at least one group setting where you are known and you know others. And finally, if possible, so far as it depends on you, being at peace with all men. Now, when people ask me or people say, you know, why should I be in a group? Why do I have to be in a group? I, I don't say this, but what goes through my head is because God is in a group. Seriously, because God is in a group. He's in a small group. Exist in community and Father, Son, and Spirit. I'm very serious when I say that. Made, his, made in his image, we're made for connection and community in that way. I want you to know that we understand you're in seasons of life where you can't meet with a group and it's hard. I totally get that. So there's no forcing people into groups, but there will never be, uh, we will never back away from the call and invitation and the provision to say, be in this group, be with others where you're living life with some other people. You're known and being known in that context. And even if it's, you know, you can't be in a, a, a formal group, you, you, need to be in, you need to be in community with others who walk with you. There's, there's no exceptions to that in the Christian life. We are better together. We're word-centered, spirit-dependent, better together. Fourth, we are courageously real. Now, this is where you go, well, where'd that come from? You know, well, it came from our prayer and talking. And quite frankly, the one I wanted on there was, I, I, my word was, we are uncomfortably real. And that got nixed. People said, that's too much. That's too hard. That's too uncomfortable. I said, okay courageously real definition because our sinful tendency is to hide what is true about us and because Jesus condemned hypocrisy in the strongest terms. We choose to take off the mask and rest in our true identity in Christ, being honest about the struggles and joys in the life of faith. How is this demonstrated? 
uh, leadership vulnerability, leaders and teachers being real about our own struggles and joys of faith. I hope you notice whether it's me or Rob or Eric or others that, you know, this, this standing up here and teaching makes me no different from you other than I've, I've got, I have a gift of teaching and I'm, 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 I'm responsible to do it, but I'm just like you. I, I have struggles and everything else. I'm, there's nothing... The life of faith is just as hard for me as it is for you at many times, you know, and you'll hear us, and I hope you understand that. Uh, Secondly, providing a safe environment for people to be appropriately vulnerable and honest, starting with our weekly worship gathering. Are we okay in this room to be honest and real and bring our junk in the room? And no, we're not, it's not a judgment. It's a judgment-free zone in the sense of it's safe to be honest and real. Making all psalm types, all types of psalms, you know, lament, praise, thanksgiving, royal messianic psalms, wisdom psalms, and precatory psalms. The psalms, the biggest book in the Bible, it's the hymnody of the church, and it's got all kinds of stuff in it. And do we bring it all, okay, in our, in our liturgy of worship and in our own personal lives? And finally, grounding our faith in our true identity in the gospel and in Christ, freeing us from the need to hide behind a false ideal. It's probably a month ago, we finished up at Brentwood, the Ecclesiastes series, and I got to teach there and lead that last message, and we did what we often do, and we, we say, how did this book change you? I mean, we just spent, you know, 12, 19 weeks in a book. How did, it, how did God stir in you and change you and begin to give you a different picture of himself or the life of faith? I didn't get to do it here. Eric did and did an amazing job. And, and, and it, the opportunity is for, for, for the body, you, not to have the talking head, talking head, but for us to talk to each other and say, this is how God is changing me, and to do it in this context, okay, in, the, in, a, in a big gathering like this. Now, here's what I want you to know. When we say courageously real, there is no expectation that in the next, you know, five years, everybody in this room is going to stand up in this room and say something about themselves. That's not the point, and that's not what we would do. Standing up in public is the hardest thing for people to do, and we're not going to put you in that. But there are always some of us, some in the room, who the Spirit moves in such a way that you'll stand up, and and, and it's just on you. You want to share, and you want to tell others, just like if you're in a smaller group. You're just in a big old group in here, and you say, this is what's going on in my life. And let me tell you what happens. Now, I wasn't here in, at, at Franklin, but I'll tell you what happened at Brentwood, and I was in all three services leading that. And in one of those services, a lady stood up, and she simply said, this is my, my name. This is my name, and uh, I uh, stepped out of the workforce when my kids were young, and uh, I've been raising our kids, and now our last one's getting ready to go off, and I'm getting ready to step back into the workforce, and oh, I'm just overwhelmed by things have changed, and it's making me question: Did I do the right thing? And maybe I shouldn't. And I'm telling you, she began to to, to cry as she wrestled with this, and I assure you. There were so many women in that room in, in that room in Brentwood who identified with her struggle. Just, I struggle with that too. And she had the courage to stand up and say it. And it, it strengthened faith way more than if I could, if I'd have said that. And then a lady stood up, a young lady, single young lady, and she said, told her name. And she just said, you know, I uh, went through a bout of depression a few years back. And I've been doing so well, uh, but I'm struggling with depression again. And I've learned that depression is something that I'll struggle with my whole life. And I'm telling you, as someone, me, who struggles with depression, I just wanted her to know, you're not alone. I, I struggle with depression. 
and, and it's something I'll struggle with my life and God use it, but I hate it, I hate it. But you're not alone and I'm telling you her courage just to stand up and say that. Across the room, there were people in that room who could identify with her struggle of faith and were encouraged in the sense of, I'm not alone. And I'll tell you, God did something in her to remind her that she's not alone. That's in part what it means to be courageously real. Finally, we are word-centered, we are spirit-dependent, we are better together, we are courageously real, and the fifth value, we are not about ourselves. We are not about ourselves. Because we were made for God's glory and not our own, and because Jesus most fully glorified God in his own service and sacrifice, we will live for God's glory and the good of others. Demonstrated how? By making decisions based on the priority of God's glory and purposes instead of our own. By leveraging our money, time, and resources with radical generosity. By cultivating a clear outward focus toward those who do not yet know Christ. I wanna stop there because I don't think we've really done this super well by turning outward to go, we're here for those who don't know Jesus. Where, where are we rubbing shoulders? Where are we connecting with those who don't know Christ and living in such a way as to invite them to faith? Not invite them to church. I'm just saying invite them to faith, to salvation in Christ. And the last one as well, I don't think we've done as well on this one locally. I think globally across the, the seas we've done well, but I don't know about locally. And so we focus ourselves here to say, not about ourselves will be demonstrated by proactively looking for opportunities to speak for those who have no voice, to stand up for the poor and destitute and do justice for all who are oppressed. I've not paid attention to that. We've not as a church, quite frankly, to the degree that we can, you know, and that we, that, that we will, empowered by the Spirit. We're not about ourselves. It's not why we're here. Ultimately, now I'm going to show you something, but I've got to qualify it because I've got I got some pretty hefty email, not hefty, but I got some emails last week around this where it it, it did it did bother some people, and I just want to say I, I can see how it might, but let me clarify what I'm getting ready to show you because I thought about not doing it, but I said no, I'll, I'll explain this to you. Uh, uh, we're talking about not about ourselves, and um, I'm going to show you a, an ad here. And let me explain this. Now, I don't know where you stand on this, what you believe about, you know, all this stuff, but before, don't put it up yet. Before we put it up, let me say, say this. I do not show this as an illustration of what it means to, be, to sacrifice. I'm not showing this ad to go, you need to do what this person did. I don't agree with what this person did. I don't know this person, but I'm just saying a public standpoint. But there are some words that I want to contrast. That's why I want you, I want you to look at these words and I'm gonna give you some, another set of words. So with that, there's this ad, you know, that's out there, Colin Kaepernick. I'm not endorsing him, I'm, I don't, you know, so don't go there, okay? I don't agree with what he's done or who he is, you know, and what he does. But I want you to look at the, ad, the, the words that Nike has placed on this. Believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything. Forget Colin Kaepernick. But believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. That's good. The words. It's almost biblical. 
So I wanna take those words and say, you know what Jesus says to us is something a little different. Here's what Jesus says, okay? Jesus says, believe in someone who invites you to sacrifice everything. It's not, it's not you know, um, believe in something even if it costs you everything. No, no, it's believe in someone who invites you to sacrifice everything. 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 Why does this matter? Because when we understand all that we are and all that we have, okay, is his, that's when we experience all that he is and all that he has. When we hold back from from him, we don't experience the fullness of Christ in our life. It's what Jesus said, and you know, he says this so many times in so many different ways. Mark 8, 35, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel, there's our mission for me and the gospel, will save it. Not about ourselves, you all. It's a value that guides the arrow and it reminds us constantly that life, true life, what did Jesus say? I came that they might have life and have it abundant, that abundant life, you see, is not abundant accumulation, abundant achievement. That abundant life is our life given away for the glory of God and the good of others. And when we do this life that we have no conception of begins to well up in us and it's an eternal well that flows out of us. It's the life of Christ and the person of the spirit. And that's what we want. And that's what, that's what Christ wants for all of us. You notice the song we sang earlier, I Say Yes. Do you notice the brilliance of that lyric is it's not saying, uh, okay, 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 okay. I say yes to what you want me to do. That's not what the song says. What does it say? I say yes to what? What does it say? To all you want for me. All you want for me, I say yes. You see? And that's what we do when we live in such a way that we are not about ourselves. So the fellowship core values, you'll see them on the screen. We're gonna respond to them together. We are at fellowship, word-centered, spirit-dependent, better together, courageously real, and not about ourselves. And there's really no greater place to, to, all of those things flow down and flow into this one place, and it's the place of the cross. And so we're gonna take the Lord's table in response to this, and in a way, and to reflect upon it. So I'm gonna ask the ushers if they would get up and begin to pass the elements. So we're gonna pass the bread and the cup. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you trust that what Jesus did, he did for you. He was buried, he rose again after three days, and he, you trust him for your salvation. Then you're so welcome at this table. If you're a guest, we want you to be here. If you don't know Christ, is today the day that you might trust him? Now, the table is for those who've trusted Christ, and so I'm gonna ask you to, to refrain from the table, but, but I also wanna say, you know, you are welcome here, and this is a good time to be reflecting on your need for Christ. And if you wanna trust Christ, I would love to talk to you after the service about what that would look like. I want you to take the bread, and I want you to hold the cup.
And I want you to sit for a moment. We'll take them together. But I want you to be reflecting on the words on the screen. And I just want you to read them. And I want you to ask yourself a few questions. Are those values mine? Because the degree that they're not, that's, they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not values. I got to tell you, they're, they're, the, they're the values of us as a community of faith. And that means we begin to own them individually. Uh, do you have any resistance to any of them? Not about the wordsmithing, but at the core of them. Talk, maybe God wants to stir something in you with that resistance you have to that value. I don't know. But if one of those values prompted something in you related to you today, wherever you are today, like, I need to think about that. Pay attention to what the Spirit is saying. He's the ultimate teacher. And maybe it would be you'd sit and you'd just say, Lord, would you, em- would you em- help embody those values in my life? Not just in this, me as a member of a church, but in my life to embody these values because I assure you, they are biblical convictions. Hold the bread and the cup. We'll take it together in a moment. Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me Father thank you for sending your only son Jesus to live the life we could not a righteous holy pure sinless life and yet in that purity he was broken broken for us. We thank you, Jesus. Take and eat the bread.
the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the blood of the Son poured out on our behalf. You tell us that life is in the blood, and so that blood pouring out was his life being poured out. That's why blood cleanses us as white as snow. It's not blood on on a white garment makes it red. The blood is the life that it cost. Jesus poured out his life literally through his blood. And by his death, our sins are forgiven. For he absorbed the wrath against all sin, all the sin we've ever committed, past, present, and future. And we therefore stand now with no condemnation, for we are clothed in his righteousness. Lord Jesus, for your obedience to the cross, the sacrifice of your life, we say thanks. Take and drink. cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until until he comes. I'd like us to stand. We're going to be very focused in our response to these values. So in taking the Lord's table, remember we're always, we're doing it as unto for ourselves and they're reminding us of these things, but it's also a proclamation. We're saying something. We're, we're saying to ourselves and each other, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I remember this historical fact. But we're also saying in taking this, we're mindful that Jesus is coming again. And until he comes again, we'll continue this commandment, this ordinance that he's given us of the Lord's table. We proclaim he's coming to set things right. We want to respond this morning to these core values in this way. If you took these core values, I want you to know they all come down and they coalesce in a very specific time and place in history. They coalesce at the cross, not surprisingly. At the cross of Christ. For in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want want to root this in him. Jesus was word-centered. You understand, Jesus himself did nothing that the Father didn't tell him to do. Jesus himself was spirit-dependent, anointed with the Spirit for the work of the gospel. In his humanity, he, he had to depend on the Holy Spirit, and he did. And you see, he was better together. Where was he? He came, he, he invested in the 12, in the three, He wasn't alone. He's better together. Jesus himself was courageously real. I spoke of part, an expression of being courageously real is is that, you know, he he was who he was. He didn't hide behind anything. And I'll tell you, we see that throughout his life. Is it not most clearly demonstrated in a garden called Gethsemane when he did not hide? Oh God, if there's another way, but... Yet your will, not my own. You know, you will not never see a heart exposed so clearly. 
And Jesus was not about himself. Mark said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give himself a ransom for many. This, this is no accident that we take these values and we say, oh, they're, they're Jesus, and they are. And they're most fully expressed in the cross. And that's, y'all, that's where we'll live these values. As we come to the cross mindful that it's only through Jesus, by his grace, and the person of the Spirit who lives in us, and the Spirit's power, that we live word-centered, Spirit-dependent, better together, courageously real, and not about ourselves. So let us sing of that grace we find at the cross.